You're listening to the April 29th edition of The Close-Up, the Film Society of Lincoln Center's weekly podcast. This is Brian Brooks, co-producer of the series. And this is Eugene Hernandez, Deputy Director of the Film Society. Welcome to part one of this week's edition, featuring the late, great documentarian Albert Measles. curious and always extending a warm hand, Albert Maisels was an important member of our extended Film Society family. Grey Gardens premiered at the 13th New York Film Festival in 1975, and Albert's latest film, Iris, had its world premiere here at the 52nd New York Film Festival last fall. The legendary director passed away in March, and his presence will be sorely missed, but he will live on through his massively influential films. The new documentary, which is in theaters now, follows Iris Apfel, the quick-witted, flamboyantly-dressed 93-year-old style maven who has had an outsized presence on the New York fashion scene for decades. More than a fashion film, the documentary is a story about creativity and how, even in Iris's dotage, a soaring free spirit continues to inspire. Following the press screening of Iris, Albert Maisels and Iris Apfel joined selection committee member Marion Massoni for a lively discussion about the film. Let's go now to that conversation. I'm so excited to be sitting here next to you. Um, thank you. Um, okay. So Iris, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> this isn't the first time you've seen it, is it? Yes, it's the first time <gasps> I've seen it. Okay. So I'm a little gaga. Not lady, but a little gaga. <laughs> Maybe we'll give her a minute to, to think about this. I think we're all gaga over you. Oh, yeah. Well, it was just wonderful working with Albert. I was hesitant about doing this. We were talking about it a little while ago, and it was Linda Fargo who said, you must be insane. If Albert is anxious to do something about you, people would kill to have him interested, and you are thinking about it, you fool. <laughs> You've got to go ahead with it. So I did, and he promised that it would be they would follow me and be very unobtrusive, and they never got in my way. They were really wonderful. It was a very, very pleasant experience. Can you speak up to your husband? Can you hear you a little bit better? Oh. I can't hear. He said to speak up because so, so Carl can hear you. Put it right, to your, to your, right up to your lips. And I don't know if we can maybe raise the, maybe the level a little Maybe it's better if he upstairs. doesn't hear me. Ah. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, now, you said when, when um, the, they said you were crazy to think about making this film, but let me ask, let me just go to Al for one minute and ask, you knew each other for a, a while, I presume. No, no, we never met. You had never met. I had never met him, and uh, this all came to me without meeting him. And finally, when I went up there, and we had a lovely round of talks, I fell in love, and I said, I'm going to do it. But no, I'd never met him. This and is even I kept better. thinking and saying, you know, who would want to see a documentary about me? This is ridiculous. 
But he was persistent, and so we went ahead. As I recall, I started filming the moment that I met her, and uh, that's the way you always do it. Uh, I don't want to miss those first moments, which could be so interesting. But uh, it's been just, just great. It's so satisfying to see it with such an interesting and uh, engaged audience. Uh, I'm thrilled. And then I thought uh, Albert had always done films about so many important social issues, and I thought maybe I wasn't gritty enough. <laughs> but somehow I guess it worked out. It worked out beautifully. I think we'd all agree. I think it did. I think everybody would. You know, halfway through watching the film, I realized I probably should have counted every time you said fun or you thought it would be fun. I mean, which seems to be, to me, I think it's my new mantra. Um, well, you have to have fun yeah. or you might as well be dead. <laughs> I also think that you and Carl, I mean, I felt like you almost had like a comedy script writer. The two of you are just so, you know, bouncing off each other. Oh, now you've let go of our secret. Ah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let everybody out here make comments, too, because I'm sure we all have. No, they just want to, they want to love you and adore you. Right here. How many rooms? Oh, oh good, we have microphones. So if you raise your hand, we'll bring a microphone over to you. I'm very curious, how many rooms are in your apartment? And is it not a duplex? And also, if you know... How many pairs of glasses do you have? I don't know if I can count that high. <laughs> no, I don't have that many pair of glasses anymore. I did have a huge cache of glasses, and uh, I put them all in a big bag once, and I was having some work done in the apartment, and they disappeared. And I replace them now every once in a while when I find a pair in a flea market that looks amusing, like mm. this pair. But uh, brooms, let me see, I have to count. I'm, I'm not a counter. Let's see. Um, does the kitchen count? Because for me, I, I'm not allowed in it. <laughs> <laughs> do you keep clothes in it? Because if you do, you should count it. If you don't, don't no, worry no, about no, it. No, 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 I'm, I'm uh, that's off limits. Um, is it a duplex? Is it that big? I'm sorry? Is it, is it a duplex, two, two no, floors? No, no, no. no. So I wanted a duplex, and years ago, a very good friend who was older than I was said, don't you dare, because there'll come a day when the stairs are going to be a menace. And boy, mm. was he right. Mm. So I'm glad that we were all on one floor. Well, let's see, we have one, two, three, I guess seven rooms. There you go, and not a duplex. I want to ask you something about your glasses, though. Um, and there are some photographs early um, when you were younger, and I still see those same, the large, round glasses. Um, when, did, when did you, did you ever not wear very round glasses? Well, once I, once I had to, well, no, I always wore round glasses yeah. and always large ones because the shape appealed to me. I found some frames in the flea market a thousand years ago, and I was very taken with them, and I tried them on, and I liked the way they looked. And I didn't need glasses then, so occasionally I'd take them out and just put them on because I thought they were a wonderful accessory. 
little knowing that I would absolutely one day have to have them. And once I decided that I needed glasses, I thought, well, if you're going to wear glasses, you might as well wear glasses. And I liked, I liked the, uh, the uh, large size. And people would say, why do you have them so large? And I would say, the bigger to see you. <laughs> Whoa. Um, I'm trying to see hands there. Oh, in the back on this side. You, wait, wait, wait for the microphone. It's going to come. So that way we can all hear you. How do you think being an only child affected your imagination? Oh. I, how, how do you think being an only child affected your imagination? Oh, I think everything affects you. And I think I had to be more imaginative because I was often by myself. And I had parents who were wonderful and surrounded me with things that made me think. And as a child even, I like to think. I think it's wonderful sometimes just to be alone and think about all kinds of things. And I think imagination is a wonderful, wonderful asset. And I feel so badly that children today are totally robbed of it because everything is given to them. When I was a kid, I had to visualize if I, somebody read me a story and then the radio came and we couldn't see it. We had to think about what it was going to look like. Now the kids are just thrown at everything. They see everything and they don't have to think about anything. They don't have to make it up. It's just there. I think it's just, it's robbing them. I think it's awful. Um, there's someone right there in the middle. Can you get the microphone there? Sorry, we have to wait, but it's better this way. We can, we can hear you. Uh, this is for Albert and uh, Iris. How old do you feel inside now, now that you're old enough to know better? I can't hear. How old do you feel inside? Yeah, how old do you feel? About five and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and Albert? So Albert, how old do you feel? Uh, much younger. <laughs> I'm 87, I'm going on 88 next month. Junior. Oh, everybody knows I was just 93. Ta-da. Um, okay, down here in front. Oh, here comes the microphone over here. Iris, I have a, a question. I see so many in your apartment, I see so many lamps and so many um, um, lights and things, and I, I know we once had the discussion that you turn on every single lamp and every single light individually and you don't, you don't have any switches that will shut them all off. And is there a reason why? Well, in Palm Beach, by the time I got to Palm Beach, I didn't have the strength to do that. And I want, but some, the person who had bought the apartment before had a very bad contractor and he never fixed it so that she could turn everything off at once. I guess maybe now there's a contraption that can do it. Anyway, I don't mind it in my apartment. It gives me my exercise. <laughs> let me ask let me ask Albert something. What did you what did you learn about Iris once you were making this film that you didn't have an idea of before? That's a that's a good question. 
I, I, I anticipated a lot, just that first uh, moment, and uh, that was more than fulfilled. Uh, I, I come to think of it, if, if somebody had said, you're going to make a, an hour and a half film, just concentrating on one person, I would have said, yes, I think it's all there. And it proved to be. Right there in the middle. Hi, I love this film so much. And it's just brought so much light and beauty. Uh, and I was wondering, Albert Mazels, uh, how has your fashion sense changed? <laughs> <laughs> well, good question. <laughs> I'm pretty clever at it. Uh, I still don't know how to tie a tight, how to tie a tie. And look how clever I am. I'm still well dressed. There's no tie on, but a sweater covers my shirt. <laughs> so did you borrow any of Carl's pants? When, you know, Carl's has a fabulous collection of pants, I think, aside oh, from yes, your yes, collection. Yes. No, we, we have those under guard. <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't get your hands on them, on, on, those, on those pants. Well, Albert's so cute, he doesn't have to be all dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> all the way in the back there? The woman who's standing up. They're going to bring you a microphone. I think because we're, you know, let, let's wait for the mic. It'll be worth the wait, I'm sure. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. Hi, I want to know, Albert, how long did you work on the film? And did you know anything about fashion before you began? Uh, I had a smattering of uh, knowledge of fashion many, many years ago when uh, Bill Blass was number mm -hmm. one, I guess. Mm -hmm. I made a little film of him, oh. and uh, so I could appreciate fashion. And the and other part of the question? How long did you work on the film? Uh, you know, the f how well, long did you follow us? Most of the work, and th thank goodness we had such uh, good, capable people working on the film, from the, editors to the, to, from the editor to the producer and so forth. Uh, um, so that... Most of the work took place after I shot. I don't think I, how many days did I spend? Just a few days. Really? How, how maybe long maybe did you as many as 10. I don't know, I don't think it was more than that. Okay. But then other people, so how long were you, was well, this it, the whole period process? Well, it was about uh, over three years, okay. but they were, it was bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. And months and months would pass. I was very busy or traveling. Albert was away collecting all kinds of awards. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> My latest award came last month when uh, I got the National Artist Award given to me by uh, Mr. Obama. I, he was on television having it hung around his neck. Ah. <laughs> that was exciting. Um, over here. Yes, Mrs. Eiffel, could you tell us what is your favorite flea market find? And conversely, what is your favorite thing that you paid far more than you wanted to for? Ah. <laughs> I didn't hear the 
So what the, there's two, the, the, yes, for you. Um, the first question is, what is your favorite flea market find? Oh my God, it's, that's impossible to say because <laughs> I'm a flea market freak. I don't go often anymore, but years ago, Hold it, it was, closer. Hold the mic closer. Years ago, I, I was at markets all the time, all kinds of markets. And I'd say more than half the things I own come from markets, so it's very hard to say. Uh, it's like saying, what, who is your favorite child? Yeah. <laughs> and there you go. Well, then the next question, and maybe you, maybe you can't answer this one either, but we're going to ask it, which was, and what is your favorite item for which you paid too much money? Is that, was, was that your question? More than you would have liked to. More than you would have liked to. Is there anything that you... Oh, I always pay more than I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> So that would be everything, the answer, or the other half. <laughs> I have a question, though, about um, the, the pieces and all the, the, the clothes that you have in the pants, the slacks, everything. And, and I, I presume you, you wear things more than once. How do you keep track for your own person of what you're wearing, of what you have, and, and how do you decide what you're going to wear and not wear from day to day? People think I just sit and think about it and plan it. it, it like, like, it's nothing strategic. I just wear what I feel like, and usually it goes in cycles. I have a lot of things that I put away and I forget about them, and then I go into the closet and start to dig around, and it's like Christmas. It's like all new stuff. And right now, I'm doing most of my shopping in, cl in my closets because it's much better that way. Uh, I've got so much stuff, I really have to, I'm, as you could tell, I'm deaccessioning rather than adding. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but shopping I, I, don't, I don't have any, org as, as, as my poor housekeepers know, they tear their hair. Stuff is all over the place. We're in the process now of trying to get a bit organized. I pray to God that happens. That's my one wish. Oh, how I, how I envy people who are very organized. I am in my head, but n not... Anyway, this organization has its charms. Right here, down in front, do we have a microphone? We can get to this, no, this woman over here, in the third row. You see, right there, yeah. Hi, Iris. Um, I want to ask you, when Mrs. Lohman said you weren't pretty, was that when you decided that being pretty has nothing to do with success? Please, could you repeat the question? Yes, the, the question is when Mrs. Lohman, it was Mrs. Lohman who said it, yes, said to you that you weren't pretty, yeah. Is that when you decided that, that uh, beauty had nothing to do with success? Oh, no, I decided that a long time ago. I have to talk louder. Oh, yeah, I, we're going to put I, the I microphones was, right was, up to our lips. I was never upset that I wasn't pretty because I think there are more important things in the world. I think it's, it's wonderful if you are pretty, but that never upset me. And when Mrs. Lohman said that to me, I thought she was a bit touched, and I said, what the heck is she talking about? I never knew, I, I never thought about it. I just, I do all these things instinctively, and I, I just like to go to Lomans. I fell into it one day, like I do everything else. I got, I was on my way to see a client in Brooklyn, and I don't know the area, and I got lost. It was pouring with rain, and I was walking up that street, and all of a sudden, I saw this shop window with a, 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 a beautiful stained glass uh, screen, and a Norman Norell in front of it. And I thought, oh my God, this must be heaven. 
<laughs> and I walked inside, and there was this enormous, enormous room, much bigger than this, and there were uh, clothing, clothing on all the racks, and women in various shades of undress, and a lot of disgruntled husbands sitting around waiting. And I realized it was the famous Lomans I had heard about but never seen. And I looked at all the racks, and I, I said, oh my god, this is Lomans, where are all these wonderful things? And I mentioned it to somebody, and she said, well, you're on the wrong floor. Go upstairs and go to the back room. And that was uh, Aladdin's cave. It was just absolutely fabulous. And they had all of these marvelous clothes that I lusted after as a young girl, but I could never afford them. But here it was possible. I didn't have much time to stay, so I drank it all in, and I determined that I, when I went to see this client, I'd get lost again. And uh, I made it a point always to stop there. Very often I had no time to, to try clothes on. And in those days you couldn't refund or exchange. But I, being a fabric freak, I was drawn, when I looked at the, the first thing I look at is fabric. And I would see something that was beautiful and I'd look at it and I'd say, well, if it doesn't fit me, I can always cut it up and make pillows. So I accumulated quite a lot of stuff that way. And when she told me this, that I had style, I really didn't know what she was talking about. But I guess it was a prediction. I guess it was. Um, okay, down here. First, first, right here. Hi, Iris. Um, I'd like to know how you feel now that the film is done, how, if you can describe what it felt like to watch this, watch your life tonight. Yeah, so now that you have had time to think about it, can you describe what it's like to oh, watch this? I haven't this? had time to think about it. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> She's been answering these questions. I've I'm, I'm been trying to concentrate on all you lovelies. Uh, no, I'll think about it, but I think about, there are things in there that I'd forgotten about, and there are a lot of things in my life that were not included. So I have to think about that. There are lots of other things I've done. This kind of puts me on a fashion track, but I'm, I try very hard not to be an empty-headed fashionista, and I'm interested in a lot of other things, and I do a lot of other things. And I don't know if this comes across. I, I hope this doesn't make it, me sound. It comes across, absolutely. We'll have to make another film. Well, I was going to say, now you're going to talk to Albert to make another film. So maybe Albert's sequel. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that we've seen that, but that could happen. Um, yes, right next, right there. Iris, you've been married for so many years. I want to know what your secret is of the two of you being married for so many years. I can't hear. What's the secret What's of the being secret married of your marriage, for, so your many, for so many years? They want to know your, your and Carl's secret. I think secret. having a sense of humor. I think that's the most important thing. Okay. And I, I, oh, I suppose I've told everybody well, who knows me the story uh, about Johnny Carson. He had uh, on his show a little lady, because she'd been married 75 years. And he said to her, tell me, in 75 years, did you ever once think about a divorce? And she thought a minute, and she said, divorce, no, but murder. <laughs> <laughs> More truth than poetry. <laughs> Um, right there, yes. Uh, right, no, wait for the microphone. 
Hi, Iris. Hi, Albert. I love the film. Congratulations. Uh, quick you. question for Iris. Is there any celebrity out there whose fashion sense um, that you're into, that you like, that inspires you? Uh, and I have a second question. I never see you wear earrings. Do you ever wear earrings? So the, did you hear? Uh, the first question is, is there a, a celebrity or star out there right now currently whose fashion sense you admire? Currently, no. Uh, in the past, <laughs> to be very honest, but in the past, yes. And the second question is, and I'm very interested because, well, see, I wear them all the time. Um, you, she ne we never see you with earrings. Oh, I used to wear earrings. I was the earring queen before. I wore big glasses, I wore big earrings. They were so hard to get, but earrings and big glasses and yeah. big earrings look a little bit grotesque together, so. <laughs> I, I mean, my ears will stay on, but my eyes won't, so. <laughs> and, and you have to know how to edit. And which celebrities uh, in the past priority. was she, mm -hmm. Which celebrity in the past was she inspired by fashion? Is there any celebrity in the past that you were inspired by? Well, I was very inspired by, uh, um, um, uh, Pauline de Rothschild. I mm -hmm. thought she was the cat's pajamas. And there was a lady, I, I, wouldn't, I don't know whether she was a celebrity or not, but she was the um, standard oil heiress. And her name was, um, oh, God. Millicent Rogers, Millicent people Rogers. say, yes. I thought she was just wonderful because what was so great about her was that she had the money to back up all her fantasies, which was, I mean, you know, made it much easier. But she kind of, she did wonderful things. She had couture. She had, uh, from the point that she lived in, uh, in Salzburg, she had all these wonderful peasant clothes. Of course, she'd send the dandels and whatnot to Mambouchet in Paris, and he would copy them, but they, you know, they were just great. And then she ended up in the, in the Southwest, in Taos, and wore all these wonderful um, Western and Indian clothes. And she had both the money and the wit to collect, in those days, the most spectacular American Indian jewelry, Native American, I guess, you have to call it now, uh, that you've ever seen. And she had all these big pieces from the chieftains. They were absolutely marvelous. There's a museum dedicated to her, if you I haven't been there in years, but Taos, and uh, it's, it has all of her collections, and they're just, just wonderful. I used to make, we would stay in Santa Fe, and we would always take one day to drive over to Taos so I could make my pilgrimage to my necklace. She had one necklace I really lusted after. It was just big nuggets and chunks of different kinds of turquoise, all strung together in the most marvelous way. I tried many times to have it copied with no success. Just marvelous. And I would, at one time we got stuck in traffic. There was construction on the road. And I got to the museum just, it was closing. And, and the, the, the guard I thought was very nasty because he shut the door in my face. And I wouldn't take that for an answer. So I kept kicking at the door and banging and banging. And finally he let me in. I said, I've come all the way to pay homage to my necklace. You have to let me at least go and see it. So we did. It's so beautiful. The power of your persuasion. Um, I think, unfortunately, that's all we have time for right now. But I want to thank Albert for bringing Iris to us on screen. It's the most marvelous film. And Iris, thank you. Oh, thank you.
you, thank you, thank you. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Brian Brooks, Nick Kemp, and Michael Oatmark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.com, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.